All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 3, and I will not preach an hour and a half this week. So for all of you guys that were here last week, they were like, holy crap, that took forever. So we were trying to make sure that like we'd get one chapter done each time. Uh, I just think there's a reality, and it happened in the first service, so it's going to happen in the second service. We are uh, going through a chapter at a time, but we're only going to get halfway through. I don't remember. Maybe we got four verses done in the first service, something like that. Yeah, either way, we got some, we're going to just carry it over, because there's a lot to be said and a lot to be talked about. So just real quick, um, not a full recap, but an understanding. Um, what is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and why is it so important? So remember, the 911 emergency call letter that he's writing to the church in Galatia is centered around this idea, that in his other letters, he would say, you know the right thing, but you live the wrong way, grace is sufficient, and again, that, that you're, you're making mistakes, but it's not going to, this is the key, those mistakes, because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, are not going to keep you out of heaven. Right, like that's the idea. So the, the letters, there's letters that he wrote that would say, you know the right thing, you just keep making mistakes. Grace is sufficient for that kind of belief system. And you are going to experience heaven because of the grace and mercy of Jesus. The 911 call to the church in churches in Galatia was this. You are believing the wrong thing. Grace and mercy is not sufficient and you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Somewhat sobering, right? And here was the, the deal, right? It's not like they were out murdering people. What they did is they added to or took away from the truth of the gospel. And because they added to or took away from the truth of the gospel, Scripture would say, Paul would say, and it can be supported by other places in Scripture, that those who take away or add to are false teachers. And because they are false teachers, they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell, unless, and they're good unless, unless you change your ways, right? Unless you do something different, unless you believe rightly, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Now, here's the big question. At least this is the big question for me. How is it that a group of churches who were on fire with the truth of the gospel could end up allowing false teachers to come in and end up believing a false teaching? You ever wonder that? Because this was in a very short amount of time. So in this amount of time, think about it from this perspective. Back then when the letter was written or when Paul went and planted the church in Galatia and then the letter was written to him, this is only like 15, 16, 17 years after Jesus had died and rose again. So this wasn't like old news. Like people were traveling around that had seen this and could say, yeah, like this is really true. So when Paul went in there and he preached the gospel to all of these churches, it was this. Here's the truth of the gospel. You know Jesus who got crucified, you've heard people talk about it, he's crucified, died on a cross, rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father. And if you believe in him, put your trust in him, you're saved. And the churches in Galatia were on fire, right? They were excited. They, they came to the place where, you know, they were reaching other people with the gospel. And then over the course of 15, 16 years, 
however amount of time it took them, they started to listen to false teachers. And not only did they listen to false teachers, they started to believe what the false teachers had to say. So Paul writes this letter, says, listen up, major problem. It's not suggestion that you change. It is a mandate that you change if you want to experience relationship with Jesus Christ, relationship with God, and eternity in heaven. Make sense? So how do they get there? Well, it's kind of like this. This is the way I thought about it. If you've been to the beach, you've heard of this before, the rip tide or rip current. Anybody? You've been to the beach. You hear the, the, like, you walk out there, and if you haven't been to the beach, this is the way it works. You go there, and they tell you this. It's either on flags or on signs, like, be aware of. And sometimes beaches are flagged at different places for the riptide or what the rip current is because there's this idea. What happens is when water comes in, it finds the easiest way out, and it goes out really fast, right? And it happens in certain parts of where you're at on the beach. So they tell you, be aware. And you know why you should be aware? Because people die, right? People die in the rip tide or the rip current every year. In fact, we had a friend, grew up with him in high school, and this was a guy that, you know, after he graduated high school, he went off and went to college, and he got into scuba diving, right? Loved scuba diving, loved the ocean, was in the water all the time, but he decided uh, that he was at the beach one night, so he decided he was going to drink a little. You know, that sins happen at the beach sometimes. No? None of you are going to admit it, but it tends to happen. People go to the beach sometimes, and they drink more than they're supposed to, right? You're on vacation. Things are happening. He goes to the beach, decides to drink, drinks probably more than he should because he becomes pretty inebriated, which is found out afterwards, decides that he's going to not just hang out at the beach around the campfire. He's going to get in the water. Can you guess where this is going? So he gets in the water, gets caught in the rip current, gets dragged out and drowns, right? How is it that somebody that's an experienced swimmer, somebody that understands that there is a riptide, understands that there's this thing that could kill you, how could you end up in that spot? So it's the same concept. Here's the truth of the gospel, and how do you end up in this spot? Well, here's why people get killed in the, the rip current every year. Just same concept with him. It's because they go to the beach and they underestimate how big of an issue this really is, right? Like, I'm a good swimmer right? I can go out there. I'll never get caught in. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, whenever you ever hear moms like, you're getting too deep. Nobody ever yelled that to their kids. Like, you're a little too deep. And they're out there like, oh, it's okay. Next thing they know, they're like way out there or way down there. You ever see that on the beach? Right? Like they, they end up in places and mom's trying to warn them. And every kid says the same thing. Every, you know, like, What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? You could die, right? Like, that's the worst thing that could happen. They underestimate, right, the danger. You know what the other thing that, that happens or why people get uh, swept away and die inside of the, the rip current? It's because they think if they're a good enough swimmer, they can overcome the riptide. Here's a reality. You, I don't care how good you are, you can't overcome swimming directly in the face of a rip current. You can't do it. And what happens is people who try, no matter how good a swimmers they are, if they try to swim, because this is what naturally happens for every single person when they get caught in a riptide. They get caught in a riptide and they're going out and the beach is back there. What do you think their first instinct is to do? Swim as hard as they can back to 
the beach, right? Like that's the natural idea is you swim back to the beach. No matter how good a swimmer you are, you can't swim through the riptide. You can't swim through that. In fact, the other reason people get killed in it is because they don't know how to get out of it. You know how to get out of a riptide? Not swim into it, but swim this way. Swim sideways, right? Like that's how you get out of it because riptides are small, and if you'd swim to either side of them, you could be out of it. But people sit there and paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle until they end up being exhausted and they end up dying because they have no idea how to get out of it, right? Now, why is that important and how does it apply to what we're learning? So here's what I want you to think about. There's a, there's a question that I have asked, perplexing question, and I think most people have been in the church have asked the same question. Do you remember the scripture that says that there are going to be people that someday are going to stand in front of Jesus and they're going to tell him about their life? Do you remember this story? So they're going to get up there and they're going to say, we went to church. Hey, Jesus, like, we went to church. And, you know, I bet you're super excited that we went to church and that I, I actually read my Bible. And, you know, I went to a small group and I, you know, I did all these things. And not only did I do them, I did them in your name. And you know what Jesus' response to that person is? Away from me, you evildoer, I don't even know who you are. Now, is that not perplexing? You don't think that's, like, perplexing? Because remember what we're talking about. Paul's writing a letter to the church. This isn't to the outside people. This is to people who are inside of the church who are coming every Sunday these are people that are reading their Bible. These are people that are praying. These people are doing religious things, right? He's writing it to them. Don't you think that it's perplexing that a person can say, stand in front of Jesus, and not only stand, they can say, Lord, we did these things in your name, and Jesus is going to be like, I don't even know who you are. You see, the reason that it's so important for you to understand this book of Galatia that we are studying is because that might be you. And here's what I want you to think about. You know how we were talking about the rip current, the rip tide? You know, the same concept happens inside of the church. You know why that can happen? Do you know why it can happen that people could spend all of their life inside of the church and stand in front of Jesus someday and he looks at you and says, I don't know who you are. You know how that can happen? Because you have a false sense of security that coming to church, reading your Bible, and praying is going to get you into heaven. Right? Like there's this false sense of security that people would say, I mean, people would tell you, again, this is the concept that I, this is what I was taught, right? I was taught that I was bad. Anybody else had this? Like, you had a list of bad things you were doing. My list was somewhat exhaustive. <laughs> like that list was long. And when I got to this place, and I was like, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, they were like, you know you have a list. Yep, I know I have a list. You know your list is long. Yes. So what they told me is, stop doing and start doing, and if you do those things, guess what? You're good. Stop doing bad things, start doing good things, and anybody who stops doing bad things and starts doing good things naturally is good. 
Well, guess what happens in all of that, right? I mean, if you've ever been where you have like the exhaustive list of things that you try to stop doing, you realize you can't stop them all. Thank you. Some of you are like me, right? There's this long list of things and you're doing the best you can, but you can't stop them all. And guess what? You can't do all the good things either. So guess what people say to you? Well, you're in trouble. Why? Because you're not, you're good, you're bad, the things you're doing. Somehow there's this false sense of security that if you do good religious things that other people don't do, that you're going to get saved. It doesn't work. There's a false sense of security that if you're not doing the right thing, you just need to try harder. Anybody told you that? You ever been in the try harder camp? Right? Like you're not doing very good and you're like your list isn't getting removed and your good list and somebody says, you know what you need to do? You just need to come to church more. You know what you need to do? You just need to read your Bible more. You know what you need to do? You just need to pray more. You know what you need to do? You need to do, you need to do. And you're like swimming your little arms off and you're kicking your little legs and you're going as fast as you can. And guess what's gonna happen to you? You're going to drown. If that's the way you're trying to get out of that rip current, you will drown. Do you know why? There's only one way out. Jesus. That's it. You see, and this is the thing that couldn't equate with the Galatian church. Like, they couldn't figure out that Jesus was enough to get me out of that mess. Right? And because of that, they had this false sense of security. They had this false idea of what they needed to do. And they were surrounded by people that are going like, good job. Good job. Way to be at church, way to read your Bible, way to do. Now, you have no relationship with Jesus. You're not spending any time with him, but you're being way religious. Good job. And they're like, I feel pretty good about myself. And some of you might be the same way. Some of you today might be like, God, I'd be thankful I'm here today. Just so you understand, he's not thankful that you just woke up and just made it in, right? Like that's not, like Jesus isn't super excited that you came today to check it off the list so you could tell everybody that you went to church, right? Like that's not the idea of what he's talking about when we're going through this. So big problem, but this problem is solved, and this is the whole Galatians book. It's solved by the truth of the gospel. You are not good enough. You can't do enough, only he can. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? Jesus Christ is enough, and because he is enough, he could get us out of that, and the truth of the gospel is what's gonna give us the ability to stand in front of him someday, and the truth of the gospel is gonna be the one that's gonna give us the power to live, and we all should just get that and understand it and go down the road. But guess what? You know what we underestimate also? You in the church have an enemy. You underestimate this. See, you underestimate, you know, when we get in the security of the four walls and we're like, man, I'm super, like these things are going good. You underestimate not only that you have an enemy, but you underestimate the way that the enemy's going to try to take you down. You see, we have an enemy that says he's going to steal, kill, and destroy. And you know, we have this view that he, the way he's going to steal, kill, and destroy is you take you in a back alley and beat the tar out of you. 
that he's going to take everything away and he's going to rip everything away and your whole life's going to fall apart and everything's going to be a disaster and he's just going to beat you down. Listen, (laughs) if he did that, you'd be like, what in the world is going on? I need Jesus. Somebody just took me in the back alley and beat the tar out of me. I don't want to go in the alley anymore. I need to go where it's safe, right? He doesn't do that. You know where he does it? One little decision at a time that allows you to drift to a point where you have no idea how you got there. To the point where he deceives you into having a belief system that you can't imagine how you ever got, but now you, not only do you have it, you hold dearly to it. Right? Like he can get you in slow amounts of time to do those things. And so we need to be aware the enemy isn't always on the outside. The enemy's in the church. And in the name of Jesus, listen to me. I don't want you to miss this. In the name of Jesus, people inside of the church and people leading churches are leading you astray. Listen. <laughs> There are other ways to get you on the wrong path than taking everything away from you. It's giving you everything you need and saying everything you want to hear. And believe me, that has happened in the culture of the church and in the culture of Christianity because you're no longer allowed to say something that's going to make somebody mad. I'll give you a precursor. Don't come here then. (laughs) It's a a bad idea. Scott said this when I was walking out. He's like, dude, you got to stop saying those things. People are going to leave. And I'm like, listen, we got to keep, we got to say what's true, right? We got to talk through that. And Scott and I were talking about that. But the reality is Satan knows how to do it. Satan knows what we want. Right, and Satan knows how to do it. So when we study in Galatians 3, we're trying to get this idea how to stay out of that by being aware that you have an enemy, by being aware that, again, he's not trying to destroy you by taking everything. He's just trying to destroy you by making you happy and keeping you content with the wrong gospel, right? So we need to learn the right gospel. All right, are you ready? All right, so Galatians 3, let's start there. So in the beginning of Galatians 3, we're just going to read the first part of verse 1 because it it, uh, gets us, like, there's a lot going on in this first part. So he says, right in the beginning, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, important to understand, why is he calling them foolish? Is it because they're dumb? Right? Is it because intellectually they don't understand? Is it because they're not thinkers? They're just out there like, showed up to church this morning, don't really care that much, Preacher said something. If that's what the preacher says, that's what I'm going to do. That's not the church of Galatia. The church of Galatia was a very intellectual. These were people that were thinkers. They weren't foolish because they weren't didn't have an intellect. They were foolish because they couldn't figure out how to take a truth and a lie and put them next to each other and decide which one was which. Right? They they were foolish because they had the truth of the gospel, and when lies came into it, they ended up being able to say, I don't know which one's true, so I'm going to go to the one that I like. And see, that's the whole bewitched part. 
So when you look at how is it that the, the church, this was what Paul's asking, how is it that the church gets bewitched, right? And here's how a church gets bewitched. Here's how you're gonna get bewitched. You want feeling, right feeling over facts. Does that make sense? So you're, you wanna have a right feeling, you don't necessarily want the facts, right? That's what's going to bewitch people is when they want feelings, right? I want, I want to be happy. I want to feel right. I want to get this right. Based upon, here's what the facts is. So I'll just give you an example. Think about this. So in this standpoint, here's what was happening. Now I want you to think about this. So here's what was happening. So for the church in Galatia, this was the message, right? Here was the message. Jesus Christ died on a cross, right? You were doomed, Right, But Jesus died, and because of what he did by shedding his blood, and that he died and rose again, because of the shedding of his blood, you no longer are doomed. All you have to do is believe on what he did, not what you have done, and you're saved. And they're all like, yes, like in the beginning, kind of like you were, right? Yes, like... <laughs> At least it was for me. Like, I was in trouble. I had not done the right things. When it came to Jesus and that was the deal, I was like, thank the Lord, this isn't dependent upon me because I suck. Right? Like, thank goodness that my salvation, my relationship with Jesus Christ isn't dependent upon me. I had this thankfulness, right? But you, like me, like the Galatian church, that's... Like, it's easy in the beginning to wrap your mind around, but hard over time. You know why it's hard over time? Because you live in a merit-based society, right? So when you go to a job, and you work, and you do a good job, what happens? You get praised, you get raised, you get thanked, you get moved up. Merit, right? Like, if you do something, the result of doing something good is people recognize you, people promote you, things happen, right? And we then feel important, why? Because our merit went up based upon the things that we do, right? And so that's how you live your whole life, right? And then all of a the sudden, there's this gospel that says, it has not, God's not pleased with you by what you do. You're not right with God because of what you do. You're right with God because what Jesus did for you. Now somebody comes along and says, you know, that's good. You know, it's a good message that that's what Jesus did for you. But you know what would really please God if you just did these three, four, five things. And you're sitting in there like, oh, that's right. Like I was having trouble in my mind reconciling this idea of how the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ works. Now you've made it make sense. It's Jesus plus going to church and it's Jesus plus reading the Bible and it's Jesus plus, back for them is Jesus plus circumcision and Jesus plus ceremonies and they're like, oh yeah, this gives it Jesus and I've earned my way. So when somebody asks me, you know, what, why do you deserve? You can say, well, Jesus and and I come to church every Sunday, and Jesus and, and I read my Bible, and Jesus and, I go to small group, and Jesus and, and all of the sudden, right? All of the sudden, you have now added to the gospel, and not only is that a false teaching, if you believe that, 
It's a false teaching that you believe, and there is not grace sufficient for those who will add to the gospel. No grace sufficient for that. You can't add to or take away what he did for each one of us. Or, this is what was happening. I'm sure it was happening then. It's the same thing that happened today. Not only do you live in a merit-based society, you live in a society today that you want to be happy. Like, the goal of your life is to be happy. Every decision that you make is to be happy, right? I mean, some of you are like, oh, no. It's all about, us. It's all about other people. I don't make any decisions based upon me being happy. You might be one of those people, but the majority of people make decisions because they want to be happy, right? They choose things in their life because they want to be happy, right? Well, think about this from the standpoint of the gospel, right? Think about what was happening inside of the Galatian church. Inside of the Galatian church, they're sitting here thinking, oh, wow, like, you know, these are the things that are going on, and yeah, merit-based, and not only merit-based, we've got to take some things off because this is really difficult, and this is really hard, and so I need to be happy. The same thing that we do, right? Because people fall into two camps when it comes to this, right? There's two camps that happen when you start to, to believe the way that the Galatian church, this is how you get bewitched, or maybe how we become bewitched. So you, you land in the camp that somehow that following the law and or adding to the law somehow makes God happier and makes you better. Does that make sense? I'll just give you an example. So there are some people in religious circles that would say, if you wear dresses that are not this long but this long and you put things over your head, God's surely more pleased than those girls that wear the short ones. No? No, that's like, that's really true. Like, that's in a church, right? Like, we just say, like, you need to wear something longer, right? And you need to something to have over your head. And, and because of those things, and I know this isn't probably what they would say, but they would be like, see, look, I'm way more religious than that. You know, that skanky girl over there wearing. <laughs> Come on. Right? Like, there's some of that happening, right? Like, I'm better than her, and God approves of me more, because surely God ain't approving of that. True? Or, you know, there's a culture of people that would say, you know, you shouldn't have a TV, right? Because the TV's from the devil, right? And you shouldn't have a TV. And for those of us who chose not to have a TV, then we are better because we're not being solicited by the devil through our TV, right? Like, that's a, that's a thing, right? Or how about this one? You know, good Christian people don't watch rated R movies. Are you not laughing because you think we shouldn't watch rated R movies? Is that what you're saying? Like, think about this for a second. Like, the concept, and I'm not, listen, I'll get to this, and I know you're all, like, flustered right now, but listen to me. So this idea that elevation of status, this is what I'm trying to get to, elevation of status with you and God and or you and other people because of the decisions that you make, okay? So whether it's watching rated R movies, not watching rated R movies, whether it's TV, dress, any of those things. Because here's the deal. I think as a Christian person, you should make personal decisions based upon what helps you build your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
But just understand this. Nothing that you do puts you in a better standing than what he did. Did that make sense? I don't, right? Like, if you're wearing a dress and that person's wearing a miniskirt, your standing in front of Jesus isn't dependent on how you're dressing. Your standing in front of Jesus isn't whether you did or didn't watch a rated R movie. Your standard in front of your, 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 your position in Jesus isn't whether you do or don't watch TV. Those are personal decisions that you should make. These are personal decisions that you should think about when it comes to how do you help continue to build your relationship with Jesus, but it does not change your standing. People who do this or do that are not in better standing. You will be bewitched if you think any religious activity puts you in a better standing than somebody else who's not doing it. That's, that's religion, right? And it doesn't work. And scripture's very clear that, that your standing is set by what he did, nothing that you will ever do. So make your personal decisions. That's why all you guys that are mad that I went with the whole rated R movie or any of those things that... Make your own personal decisions. I think you need to make those decisions and it needs to be based upon the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what he wants you to do and work through those things, not on what somebody else told you to do. That make sense? Okay, so then after that, he goes on, right? Because, and we talked about this before, but that's one camp. The other camp would be people who change the law, but we don't have to really talk about that, right? Because we did that before. You know, people that are struggling with this idea of being bewitched, some add to the law and then some take away the law so that they feel happy. Remember, we talked about that last week or two weeks ago. Like, you can't, like, this law has made you feel guilty, and so instead of asking for forgiveness, you just remove the law. That's the other way you get bewitched, by changing the scripture to make it fit to make you happy instead of doing what it says and repenting when you don't. Good? All right. So let's keep going. The rest of verse 1. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would, like you, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, and are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it was really in vain? So here's what he's talking about, two things. He's talking about the work of the Spirit, and he's talking about the pull of the flesh, right? So there's two specific things that he's talking about. is understanding the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing, right? So when he says, you're going to have to understand something, one is you need to understand the Holy Spirit, and there's a clarification that he makes that we should probably make in the church. Every person who truly gives their life to Jesus Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not that some people get more of it than others based upon the works of their life. Does that make sense? Like, there aren't people in here that are more full of the Spirit than others. Every single person in this room is full of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit. Now, I think most of us would say, yeah, I know. But do you realize that's not actually what we, what we really think sometimes? Like I've always said this, like nothing against, like I wanna pray for people, but a lot of times people are like, I need the pastor to come and pray. Why? Is there any more power? Am I any more, is there any more power through the Holy Spirit in me than there is in you? 
Some of you are like, I'm not sure. No, there's not. Like the fullness of the Spirit given to every single person should manifest itself out in those ways. And part of the reason you never get to see the manifestation of the Spirit is through you is because you're always expecting somebody else to do it. Right? You don't get to see the Holy Spirit work. And again, it's not that people don't want to, pastors don't want to, but we struggle sometimes understanding we all get the same measure. And just because somebody's a preacher or somebody's a teacher or somebody's a leader, we all got the same measure of the Holy Spirit. We all have the same power and should be able to do those same things. Then he also says, not only would we understand that, but we got to figure out how to struggle this struggle against the flesh. Here's something, maybe it's a news flash to you, it's not a news flash to me. You are naturally selfish. Most people don't wake up every day and be like, you know what, I gotta think about how to serve other people today. Right? I gotta think about how my life can be interrupted for the lives of other people. People usually aren't. People naturally are. I gotta make decisions in my life that are gonna make me what? happy, comfortable, fulfilled, like any of those things, right? Like we make those decisions. So here's what Paul was writing to the Galatian church, this idea of if you don't wanna drift, here's the one thing you're gonna need to know. Every single day of your life, you have to fight against the flesh. Every day of your life. Like every day of your life, you're gonna have to fight against this natural desire to do things that are, that are, that are things that go against the truth of the gospel. You're gonna make decisions in your life that are gonna move you away from where you should be. So you're gonna to have to naturally, like this is the important part, you're gonna to have to naturally do something in your life or intentionally do something in your life to fight against the drift. That It's just like this. So anybody um, ever get distracted just every once in a while and you get off, just a little bit off the road and it's like... <laughs> And I mean, it's not even just like off the road. I mean, it's just a little bit. Like there's one in the middle and on the side, right? Like you can't make even just a little bit of distraction, right? And then it, like you're going back and forth in between there. See, the idea is if you get distracted, you know what I mean? Like somebody calls you on the phone or somebody texts and you know you're not supposed to be texting and driving. Like nobody does that, right? You just talk in your phone. It's not really texting, right? None of you have these distraction problems in your car. Like you just get distracted and the next thing you know, you're just like, I'm like crap. You know, you're just going back and forth. Unless you intentionally focus on the way that you're gonna go, you are going to drift off center, right? And so here's what he's trying to help us understand. Like one of the power of the Holy Spirit like, you know, the whole thing living inside us, the one that he said you need to wait for, the one that he says going to have power. You know what that Holy Spirit does when you start drifting? <laughs> wake up! Bad idea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Then you drift off to the other side, same thing. I don't want to make the noise again because you're all like, whoa. <laughs> but it's the same concept. Like, it's the rumble strips and you're going back and forth. But when you listen to the Holy Spirit, and you intentionally recorrect your vehicle, guess what? You don't end up in the ditch. If you don't recorrect, 
based upon the leading of the Holy Spirit, here's what's going to happen. You will end up in the ditch. Right? There's this idea that just because you wake up every day and walk out of your house does not mean that you will naturally stay on the right path. You need to have very intentional things in your life that are going to allow you to stay on the path that you're supposed to be in because you're not gonna naturally be there, right? Like, this happens with us spiritually all the time, so think about this. You ever have a habit or a routine that you do all the time and when you do it all the time, then, like, it's just natural? Anybody have that working out something, right? You wake up every day, you do a certain thing, and then pretty soon it just becomes second nature. And then you miss two weeks, and then you miss three weeks. How hard is it to get back in that routine? It's really difficult, right? Because human nature, right? When you're gone and you have intentionality and you're going down the road and you do something every single day, naturally you stay in the groove. But as soon as you get out of the groove, right? Like as soon as you get out of the routine, you're gonna have to intentionally get back because you're not gonna naturally go back, right? Like that's, that's the thing that happens. We know this, like just think about this for a second. So when COVID hit, like we didn't experience this, but a lot of other churches did. So when COVID hit and, you know, everybody thought it was Ebola and people were going to touch people and die, like everybody, like you can't, you got to shut everything down, right? And again, this isn't against, never mind. So the, the point is a lot of people stopped going to church, right? A lot of people just quit going and they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to watch it online or I'm going to do, and then pretty soon they're like, you know, it's pretty cool. You don't even have to get out of bed. And you don't have to do, and you don't have to gather, and you don't have to, like, you don't have to do any of those things, right? And pretty soon that routine that you were in that kept recentering you in your life is now gone, and honestly, it's not that big a deal anymore. Right, Because circumstances of life could be reading your Bible. Everybody been on that routine or whatever those things are. They're like, oh, man, I was in the Word and great things were happening. I was getting it going. And then all of a sudden, an interruption in life happened. And you stop reading and you stop doing and you stop praying and you stop going down the road. How hard is it to get back in? And pretty soon, things that you were not doing before, you are doing now. You're drifting. Why? Because you don't have anything intentionally centering you back. Right, you don't have intentionally bring anything you back to the place that you need to be. So here's what I want to do. What are some intentional things that you can do to fight against the flesh? Right? Because I want you to have some tools, right? So when you walk out of here today, I think that there should be some tools that you have to be able to say, if I intentionally do this, it'll keep me from drifting. Okay? So some spiritual disciplines. Here's one spiritual discipline that I think you should have. I think you should come to church. I mean, that seems like a natural, but it's really not a natural. A lot of people like, and you might be this exception, right? You might be the person, I don't really need to gather with other people. I can get the same thing by myself. You might be the one exception to what Scripture says, because Scripture says gather together, right? So you might be the exception, like God might have been thinking of you and everybody else he expected to gather together, but I would say scripture says you need to come to church. And you know what, even bigger than that? I think you need to come to church for the right reason. And here's what, here's what I want you to hear. You know why you sh we should be here today? 
There's two reasons. Meet Jesus and meet people. That's why you should be here. You should come with an expectation that you're going to meet Jesus here today. Like you should come with this idea that by gathering together, there is going to be a divine appointment in my life where Jesus is going to do something in me that's not going to happen by myself. That's why he says to gather together. And you know why else? And when I say this, like, it's not just um, that we gather together so that we can meet Jesus, it's so that you can meet other people. Because right? you know we, we get in this habit sometimes, like this might be you, but you come to church and, and you might be one of those people that are like, I'm in and out. See, I'm looking at the back row because a lot of times that's why you sit back there, right? Like you're in the back row because you get to escape, right, before anybody notices you, right? Or you're one of those people where you're like, you know, I know I've seen people like pray for other people. And so like you come in and you see those people and you're like, mm-mm. <laughs> Stay away from them, because I don't want anybody to stop me. I don't want anybody praying for me. I don't want anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want that. I got to get out of here before somebody asks me about my life, before somebody digs into something deeper. I need to be in, and I need to be out, because I got other stuff to do. I want you to hear this. You're going to see this if you come to Baptism Sunday, and if you don't come to Baptism Sunday, you're going to hell. Just kidding, just kidding. But it is kind of funny that people would be like, the one Sunday a year you're going to skip is the more reason we do this. So people get saved and we baptize them. Don't you think that's somewhat weird that you would skip that Sunday? Like, I don't have anybody being baptized. And that service, man, that gets long, long. I'm like, dude, you should be like, amen. Anyway, here's what you're going to hear. You know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear stories like this. I came to the church, and I didn't really know anybody, but somebody came up, and they put their hand on me, and they talked to me, and they noticed me, and because they noticed me, I kept coming back to church, and because they talked to me, I now know Jesus, and I'm spending eternity in heaven because somebody had a divine appointment, because somebody thought of something other than themselves on a Sunday morning. Isn't that amazing? That they made themselves available how cool is it? They made themselves available for divine appointments and eternity has changed forever because you made yourself available. Not anything that you did, but everything that he did. Come to church for the right reason. Right? That needs to be a spiritual discipline that we have. We need to be able to have an opportunity. Like I don't know what your opportunities are, how you do this, but I think you should probably have something in your life every single day where you ask God what he wants you to do. I don't know, what, and again, some people call it quiet time, and some people, like I do, I, you call it or do whatever you want. Here's my two suggestions, that you listen and that you build margin for interruptions in your life. Because if either one of those things are missing, you're not gonna be able to do either one. You can say, I'm gonna listen, but if you have no margin, how are you gonna listen? Because you're too busy. Right? I mean, anybody else ever lived that life? Like, you're always busy. And all of a sudden, God says, and you're like, oh, my gosh, if I do this, if I go do this, I'm going to have to do more. And, man, if I do this, and more is going to pile up. Because you realize work never goes away, right? It just keeps getting more and more. And everything that you put off here, guess what happens? You're going to do it here. 
Right? That busyness in life isn't ever going to change. But if you don't build margin in for God to work, when he does speak to you, how are you ever going to do it? And the same concept, if you don't ever listen or take an opportunity to hear from God, how are we going to not drift? Because he's the one saying, wrong lane. Wrong direction. Go here, go there, do this, make this call, send this text. Like, that's what he's trying to say. So you got to be able to have a spiritual discipline when you have those things in your life. Here's the other thing that you need. And I don't know what you want to call it. You can call it whatever you want. But you need to be in community of accountability. If you are not in a community of accountability, you are going to end up drifting to places that you don't want to be. Now, remember this, when I, when I say you need to be in a community of accountability, like, it's funny how it works, because, like, people that are in the, the workout world, you know, they'll be like, hey, if I don't work out, I need you to send me a text. And guess what? All those crazy workout people send you a text. <laughs> True? Anybody around those people? Like, all those people that love fitness, if you missed, guess what? Didn't see you in the gym. But isn't it funny when it comes to spiritual things, you'll never get a text? Isn't that true? Right, like, hey, haven't seen you in church in a while. Hey, haven't seen you in small group in a while. Hey, haven't, right? Like, nobody wants to give that text. Nobody wants to send that out because that's none of your business. It's a private thing. <laughs> Listen. This is the difference in eternity. That's whether you're fat or not. <laughs> you're telling me that you're going to send somebody a text of whether they're fat or not and let them go to hell? Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me, right? Like, accountability means two things. One, you're going to hold somebody accountable. And you know what the other thing that it means? You're going to have to let somebody hold you accountable. And you know why that's a big deal? Because everybody's like, I'll let somebody hold me accountable, but you just tell them nothing. You know, there is no accountability if nobody knows you. True? Like, there is no account. Like, you can say, hold me accountable, but if you're never sitting there with that person and say, let me tell you where I'm at today. Let me share with you this is where I'm at. How do they hold you accountable for anything? Right? You need to be known to be accountable. Right, so you need to be in a community and you need to be held accountable through that community. Now, the worship team's gonna come back up. So what did we make it through? Hey, we're gonna make it through five verses, right? Is that where? Yeah, we'll make it through five. So the worship team's gonna come back up. I'm gonna finish with this one last part of scripture. So those are our principles, things that you can do to, to stay away from the drift and be held accountable. But then he goes into this. This is what he says. So again, I ask... Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Right? So he's saying, did I give you, remember we're talking about the whole Holy Spirit piece. Did, did he give you the Holy Spirit? And, and did those miracles come because you do things? That's what he's asking. Or is this how it works? By you believing what you have heard. Where's your power come from? You see, this is a significant issue with me for a couple different reasons. One, I think that there's this overarching thing inside of the church that based upon the way that people act or the things that they do, that some people have more power, more filling of the spirit than other people. 
Nobody's ever thought that. Like, like haven't you ever, like, I think there's this natural tendency of people that come to a church is like, if you see the people that are like raising their hands and the people that are dancing and the people that are like super excited and the people that are like expressing themselves through that, they're like, wow, they are full of the Holy Spirit. I wish I had that. No? Some of you are like, no, I thought they were weird. <laughs> no, like I, there is this emphasis of like some people are more full of the spirit than others but based upon the way that they act, the way that they worship, whether they do or don't raise their hands. I want you to, to hear this, right? Every single person in this room, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't enhance the power of the Holy Spirit based upon the things that you do. Whether you raise your hands, whether you kneel down, whether you stand there silent, God's not saying, for the one who's gonna raise their hands, for the one who's gonna dance, for the one who's gonna do, I'm gonna pour my spirit out over them. No, he's pouring his spirit out in fullness over every single person in this room, and the manifestation of the spirit should be coming through you in any way that he tells you. For some of you, it's gonna be, mm-hmm. And some of you should be dancing. Some of you should be screaming. Some of you should be clapping. Whatever that is, the manifestation of the Spirit is because you allow Him to work through you in the way that He wants to work through you. And there, there isn't wishing you had more of what somebody else has. You have it, right? You have it. You don't have to work for it. He gives it to you freely. And so when you go out this week, this is a challenge, right? Because we're trying to figure out how do we not drift? How do we not get stuck inside of the rip current? Start with this. The power of the gospel is through the filling of the spirit that happens the moment that you give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to drift, be sensitive to that voice this week. Be sensitive to that leading. Be sensitive to that rumble strip. Be sensitive to the things that's trying to keep you out of the ditch and then allow God to work in amazing ways. Will you stand so I can pray for you? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we could gather today, Lord, thankful that we could um, just remember that it's easy to drift. It's easy to make little decisions. It's easy to underestimate the enemy. But Lord, we're so thankful that your grace and mercy will allow us to see what is true and then give us the power to live in that way. Lord, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for your grace and mercy. We're thankful for the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
truth of the gospel, we can shout at the top of our lungs that we serve a good God. And not only is he good, he will never let us down. And so I just pray as we go out this week that we will remember once how to stay out of the rip current, how to not drift away from the things that God has for each one of us. I pray that if there are people in this room today that found themselves there, that they will find their way out through the truth of the gospel and that we as a church will be light to this world. So thanks for being here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.